And welcome to Kane and Rince, Volume 3, Issue 147. And we're talking about Team Fortress 2. But before we get into that, play along with Kane and Rince, Volume 3. The next three issues are Medal of Honor, Allied Assault, Dragon Age Origins and Awakening, and Hotline Miami. Head to kaneandrince.com for the full schedule, the blog, and links to our merchandise store, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube. Please subscribe and review and rate us on iTunes as well. Thank you very much. It helps. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue, Darren Gargett. Uh, don't be such a baby. Ribs grow back. Carl Moon. Hey, guys. And Jay Taylor. Maggots! Because we're unlikely to cover this game in the future, I do want to briefly talk about uh, Team Fortress, the original game, which was uh, designed by John Cook and Robin Walker, who were later hired by Valve, which seems to be a common trend with Valve, uh, hiring modders uh, into their development team to produce... It happened with Portal. That's the other famous example. And Counter-Strike. And Counter-Strike as well. So, originally Team Fortress was a mod uh, for uh, a Quake modification, uh, released in 1996. And then in 1999, Valve ported it over to Gold Source Engine under the name Team Fortress Classic for Windows, and then later down the line for Mac and Linux. Have any of you guys played the original Team Fortress? Uh, only Classic in my in my case. Um, what are the differences between that original game and uh, Team Fortress 2? Well, I mean, visually, straight off, you, you know, it pretty much looks like Half-Life Deathmatch. It, you know, it's yeah. quite realistic looking, which is what Team Fortress 2's first visual look was meant to be until it got radically redesigned. But yeah, um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a lot more fast-paced. It felt more like Quake, and I know... Team Fortress 2 can be really fast-paced as a scout, but it can also be really quite slow with a heavy. But whereas in this instance, they had kind of classes and stuff, but and every class had their own kind of grenade. You had a conk or concussion grenade and other types of grenades, which they took away from Team Fortress 2. Um, but yeah, it kind of felt like a class-based version of Half-Life Deathmatch. And my memory is very, very, you know, um, scatty about it. But I remember it being a lot of fun. Two Fort was in there, and um, that's what I remember the most. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And then, of course, Valve hired uh, John Cook and Robin Walker uh, to work on Team Fortress 2, uh, along with a bunch of other talented people. Eric Walpole, for example, uh, helped write the script for the game. So it was released as part of the Orange Box in 2007 and as a separate uh, Steam download for Windows. The Orange Box came out for both PC, 360 and the PS3. Uh, later, it would be released on the Mac uh, in 2010, and then in 2012, it would be released on Linux. So, uh, let's talk about our histories with the game, starting with Darren Gargett. Yeah, it was um, 
It was an exciting time for me, this. I remember watching it in the old Mastertronic offices down in um, Southwark in London. And it was one of the, the trailers, those those wicked trailers that they'd done for the game, you know, post-release and pre-release. Um, I remember seeing it thinking, what have they done to Team Fortress? Like, it was such a massive change. As I mentioned earlier, they kind of went from a more realistic look, which kind of looked like, kind of like Day of Defeat, kind of Counter-Strike looking graphics, to... Basically, the Incredibles in video game form. We were just like, right, this is unbelievable. And um, yeah, so I bought it on PC or Steam day one. Uh, I've got a little badge, you know, something of, of valor or something of honor, like, you know, just to let players know that if you'd bought into Team Fortress 2, you'd get like a little stupid badge because it went free to play, you know, not not too long after. Well, maybe a few years, but in my mind, it was a lot quicker than what it actually was. Yeah, I played about 100 hours in total. Um, a third of it was medic, and I experimented with other, um, you know, other, other classes because there are many. But I found the medic to be my uh, my class of choice. I, I rolled around with a friend, a good friend. People may know I've heard, spoke spoke of him before. Will, aka Kip, he was the heavy. I was the medic, and you know that was just forty hours gone in a blink of an eye. It was um, it was a joy. Carl, what's your history with the game? Um, I, it was a game that I was looking forward to. I, I played Team Fortress Classic back when I used to mess around with the, the, the mods uh, for Half-Life. You know, obviously I was quite fond of that game. And I I remember for the longest time I thought it had disappeared because they kept showing these teaser pictures of Team Fortress 2 and it was much more realistic. And at the time it looked incredible and then it would go quiet and they'd say, no, it's still in development. And then completely out of nowhere they showed these animated movies and it at first I thought it was like a prank because it was so different from what was shown. It was so different from the style of game that it was and it looked really good. So I, I just figured that the graphics wouldn't look like that. Um, and I remember it just blowing me away. So when it came out that they were actually, that the game was going to look like this, I was, you know, it was immediately on my radar. I already owned Half-Life 2 um, on, on my PC and, I actually owned it on two accounts, so I used to swap across Steam accounts for various reasons from, from the original Counter-Strike, and so I ended up buying the game twice, and uh, unfortunately, about a year after having it, where I would play it on and off, my PC sort of broke to the point that I couldn't play it, so it, my, my first experience was the very early game, on and off with friends, and then later on, playing at a friend's house on a computer that was capable of it, but... Then, obviously, when the Orange Box came across the Xbox 360, I played it on there. So it's been very scattered when it comes to playing Team Fortress 2. Yeah, um, I didn't know anything about Team Fortress 2 during its development. Um, I, I was pretty young at the time. So 2007, I was 17 and still in uh, sixth form. And um, while, while I didn't know anything about Team Fortress, um, I was a huge Half-Life fan um uh then and now and um so when i uh, heard the orange box was announced and it was going to include half-life 2 episode 1 episode 2 portal and team fortress 2 i bought the orange box for the half-life games and then discovered some you know two gems in the form of portal and team fortress 2 um you know via that um I originally bought this on 360 because at the time I didn't really have a game-worthy PC. Um, and we'll get on to how Team Fortress 2 was treated on the 360 and the PS3 uh, later in the podcast. But um, 
because of that situation that we'll get onto, uh, I upgraded to the PC version of the game. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it, because I had never played a uh, class-based multiplayer game up until that point, um, I, w- I wasn't huge into multiplayer at the time. I could play, I could hold my own in Halo, and that was about it. So this was kind of a, a new experience for me because I, I, I hadn't played any Battlefield games or anything like that with uh, similar-ish kind of class constructs. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's my history. Uh, let's let's pass it on to Jay. Um, I was excited for Half Life when they announced they were doing this orange box thing. The pre order went in as soon as, and but as the build up towards the release came around, they they were releasing these videos on the Xbox dashboard. I should state that I bought it for the three hundred and sixty at the time. The Team Fortress ads, the Meet the Team little sort of shorts that they were putting up. Mm. Yeah. That made me the most excited for that particular aspect of the game, the whole package. So even the port, I mean, Portal looked great. Half-Life was a known quantity at that point. You know, we kind of knew how good that was. But this Team Fortress was like the thing that caught my eye. Yeah. And as Darren already mentioned earlier, you know, we'd had The Incredibles a few years earlier and I genuinely loved that film. And this the kind of familiarity and the sort of the the, the design and the music and stuff it, it it sold me and so I was you know look really looking forward to getting my hands on this and to seeing how it played and so on and so forth knew nothing about Team Fortress prior to this. Okay, so I've made the decision to split discussion on this podcast between what Team Fortress 2 was at launch (laughs) on PC, PS3, and Xbox 360, and what it has become since then. Because I'm well aware that many of the people listening to this podcast are probably most familiar with what the game was at launch rather than what it's become on PC since then. So uh, to start with... Let's just talk about the the classes in this game uh, because that's the the spine of the experience uh, this of this multiplayer shooter the the very different and very different playing uh, characters and classes. Um, I'm I'm going to pass it over to Darren. Um, who who's a favourite class of yours? Who who have you played uh, the most with and? Who who have you uh, really gotten good at in this game? Uh, I'm the best with the medic. I spent about 40 hours playing the medic class. As I say, I buddied up with the heavy. And you learn a lot, especially from me, my personal experience, I learned a lot from dying. You know, kind of like a Dark Souls experience for me. Like, you know, there's your Dark Souls reference for the podcast. Uh, you know, I, I learned every time I died. Uh, I learned when I was buddying up with, with my mate heavy. And uh, you kind of there's a lot of nuance to that character that you don't really um you're not really told straight away but you you know mm. when you when you're connected via some sort of weird ghostbustery type tubey it was kind of a in, innovation at the time because health packs have always been like a pickup item or you know you might have like a, a stim pack where you you inject someone with it or something but this was kind of like um a ghostbustery kind of hoover <laughs> that you kind of latch onto and the genius of it is is um that this is his main healing weapon is that you can sort of as they bend round corners you don't really have to be right behind the guy you're healing it sort of 
it, you can bend it around corners so you can hide away from the combat, which is, yeah. I've played medics in other classes before, and most notably like World of Warcraft and, um, you know, just other games that have medic types. And I always found that when I was healing someone, I was always in the foray, kind of being punished for, you know, for, for, for helping people. And yeah. so this game allowed me to kind of be a bit more of a chicken, kind of hide away from other people. Um, which, you know, which has had its pros and cons, I should say. But, um, yeah, I really found that playing the medic was definitely my kind of pace. I've always, I've always preferred assist uh, characters in class, in games. Mm. And I've noticed recently they're sort of, they're, they're edging away from like the Trinity, you know, the, the damage, the tank and the healer. Yeah. They're sort of moving away from that because it's become a bit of a cliche. But for me, I always preferred the assist class. And so the healer was just, uh, you know, a perfect uh, match for me. Well, one of the things I I really love about this game is that every character is very specialised. You were just talking about the medic and how, um, you know, the healing power can bend around corners so you can get into a safe spot and stuff. They've really created a a bunch of people that... um, that accommodate a lot of ver- varied play styles, um, and and I think uh, the advantage Team Fortress Two has over a lot of um, of class based multiplayer games is how distinct all the classes feel. Um, mm. I, I've been you know playing Battlefield um, not not recently, but in the last six months, and that that has a class structure too. But they don't feel that distinct. You can pretty much play every class in a similar way. They're they're not that different, um, in my opinion. Uh, Somebody who's really, really good at Battlefield will probably um, attack me for saying that. But um, in this game, like... You know, if you just want to be a medic and you just want to heal people and you don't want to engage in the combat whatsoever, that character mm. class is built so you don't have to be in the combat whatsoever. And mm. um, they, an- another thing is, uh, seeing as you mentioned the medic, is just the way that um, the characters compare together really effectively. The medic and the the heavy. The heavy is um, the the guy who wields a massive minigun and just doles out massive uh, loads and loads of damage. Um, you, often in multiplayer matches, you'll see medics and heavies paired together all the time because that is a you know a very effective combo. You got the medic just making sure that this tank is constantly at full health, just mowing down. You know um, all the players on the other team, and 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 I I always found that um, that uh, that creating these classes in the way they have, making them really distinct, has allowed these allowed a a team uh, dynamic to just happen organically amongst the players. If that makes any sense, has anyone else encountered that with the classes they play as? I mean, when I play. It's, I've primarily only really played as two classes in the game because they're the two that I enjoyed, and that would be the scout and the medic. Um, yeah. the, the medic would be, if I was playing with friends, the medic's always a nice go-to. It, it Generally, across any game, you need a medic. So in this, I would play as a medic for my uh, more gung-ho friends uh, to try and keep them alive. But if I was playing on my own, it, I would always be the scout. And a lot of it stemmed from the fact that, well, for a start, the scout's quick. And it's quite hilarious when yeah. you hit someone with your little metal bat. And um, when you're the, the heavy or the demo, it's that more restrictive play style 
isn't something that I enjoy, but mm. I enjoy being the one supporting that class. Um, it, yeah. It's just that's not my playstyle, but I totally appreciate it. And you're completely right on what you mentioned about Battlefield, by the way, because I've been a heavy Battlefield player since 1942. Um, not the year, the game. Uh, I'm not that old. And the game has gradually reduced its classes, even if you go back to Battlefield 2, where there were a higher number of classes compared to the, the standard 4 that you've got in Battlefield 4. The, it, the specific... You, the sort of the uniqueness that each character has it tends to be lost because the, in half in the amount of classes you sort of everyone becomes a bit of a jack of all trades and it's one thing that Team Fortress has never done. It's that person's yeah. specifically good at that and that other class does this and if you you know if you don't like it tough because that's why we're building a team game and it's something that I really appreciate about it because those games don't feel like they're built around a massive squad of people to attain a goal anymore, whereas Team Fortress 2 never lost that, and that's what I enjoyed. But the worst part of it was when you weren't playing with friends. And if like, like that's why when I was playing with friends, I would always play a companion class as opposed to someone who would just go out, because a, a scout, whilst weak, is capable of playing on his own, uh, and, and you you know, providing a service in the same way that a spy can. Um, so if if I was playing with friends, it was a much better experience. But for that, I would always use what I would always class as sort of a secondary class, which is like the, the medic, the, the, the backup class that would go behind the heavies. Team Fortress 2 does a really good thing, speaking about the medic, in that it, assi- it gives you assist points pretty much all the time and it kind of rewards you for being the classes that aren't shooting bullets every second of the match. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm latched onto certain players and they're, you know, as a demo man, you can, you know, you can lay these, tr- you know, these little trip mines down or sort of spiky grenades onto walls and sticky bombs and, you know, just various, de- you know, demo-like <laughs> abilities. So when you're healing that demo man and he kills three people with a, a set of sticky bombs, you're, sort of effectively getting assist points for each of the kill. And when you see in the top right corner these like, um, like a list of kills and like all of a sudden it's your points, it's illuminated and it just little things like that that just kind of want you to um you know, it, it keeps you playing as the um as the assist classes. I find that a lot of multiplayer games, um, especially Battlefield three and four for me, that I just couldn't really get on with the medic now. I tried it loads and loads and loads, but I found like the um the revive paddles to be a bit unsatisfactory. But in Team Fortress too, like it, it just rewards you for being that class, and uh, that that's why I ended up playing you know forty odd hours. Well, I, 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 sorry, I, I feel that the sort of Battlefield borrows heavily from the likes of Team Fortress anyway. I mean, the idea that you know you when we were playing three, you would throw down medipacks and you would be getting, you know, you mm. could amass a lot of points without necessarily being at the front line of any combat. You can just stay behind and keep chucking down support items down for people and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, I always, I always played as engineer on, well, for the most part on team fortress and, you know, cause I liked the turrets. That's yeah. For that class. Oh, I love those turrets. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's the same, like, that game influenced me when I played Killzone 2 because I literally stuck with the engineer class in that build because they had turrets as well. But it's the ability to repair stuff like the um, vending machines and that kind of, and the teleport devices and so on. And that sort mm. of stuff, I, that's what I got a kick out with that game. But also yeah. I've got this thing where, you know, you can cover two sides with the turrets. So you can, you can have the turrets pointing, you know, left and you can be covering right and... And, mm. and it's the way that I play a lot of games, a lot of shooters. If I've got C4, as anybody who knows, 
that I'm <laughs> one sneaky swine with um, explosives. You know, because it's the ability to be able to cover your back with that stuff. So you put claymores on the door behind you and that mm. kind of thing. And and Team Fortress excelled at that kind of stuff. Really, really did. Yeah, I found the uh, the uh, the engineer class to be like a really really hard class for me to play because I'm not very clever at placement of turrets, dispensers, or, or teleports. You know, I, I respect an engineer immensely for putting a tele a, a, a turret or a teleport in that in that place that either kills me in a second because you hear the beep 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 and you know you're dead because those those missiles are coming for you, especially after you've upgraded it with your wrench uh, after collecting scrap metal on the on the, on the battlefield. But a tele a well placed teleport that no one can find on the map despite yeah. these maps being played for thousands of hours. There's always that one spot where you're like well where is it and like you sort of you sort of there's no voice chat that I want to deal with apart from you know a skype chat with a friend but you can sort of get this sort of sense of dread from the team that they're all panicking and they're chatting in the little window because we're playing on the pc and there's just this sense of dread that there's a teleport hidden somewhere and people are just pouring through it yeah. and again the the assist um you know the point system that this game's got you, the engineers just reaming points in for every time someone's going through successfully this absolutely teleport. yeah just talking about like your respect for players who can play a class really well i i think there are two classes in particular um, you already mentioned one of them, the engineer and the spy, who whenever you know players are really good at playing those classes, it's f- massively frustrating to be against them <laughs> yeah. because you're like, how do? Oh, he's cheating, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it's really, <laughs> really frustrating to play against somebody who's really good at the en- as the engineer or really good at the spy. But then you actually try mm-hmm. and play as those classes. Now, I, I, I've actually gotten pretty good at playing the engineer because. I, for whatever reason, I've figured out ways of placing turrets in really effective spaces. But I have never mastered playing the spy, despite the fact that he seems like he'd be my favourite class. Um, mm. It's because basically the spy, like his main ability, is to dress up as one of the enemy soldiers, so he can go behind enemy lines and pretend to be one of them and um, assassinate uh, key targets. But, like, there are things at play that you don't even consider. Like, you have to behave like one of the enemy soldiers. You have Mm. to actively participate in behavior that fools the enemy into thinking you're on their side and all of that other stuff. And when you're playing as a spy, that seems impossible to juggle. All of the <laughs> things that you need to keep in mind, like the the classes you have to avoid, because the pyro, um, this is another example of two classes being really complementary. The pyro is really a, a really effective spy seeker because mm-hmm. there's no friendly fire in the game. So if you blast fire at one of your friends, uh, nothing will happen. But if you blast fire at a spy, they c- catch on fire. And it's like, oh, he's the spy and everyone targets him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah. so you, as a spy, you have to always avoid pyros because they'll give you away uh, straight away. Um, <laughs> it's the struggle then- that I have playing as a spy is the patience. Yeah, you have to be so patient. Anyone who's played something like Assassin's Creed knows how difficult it be. Assassin's Creed in multiplayer, I should say, knows how difficult it can be to play a role as if you're not a human character or as if you are not someone on the other team. So, as you say, it's a case of walking amongst the enemies, which is quite tough in the first place because the amount of times you're spying, your first instinct is to take out the first person that you can stab in the back. 
uh, and yeah. sort of walk amongst them and I'm one of these guys and sort of getting amongst them until, you, like you say, you can take out a key target is incredibly yeah. difficult. It takes a certain kind of personality to be able to maintain that level of patience and, and, and calmness when doing it. And it was never for me, but I would always appreciate people who did it and the amount of times you'd be killed by a spy and it was really frustrating. But oh, yeah. like, you, like you said, and I think like we're almost coming across this, is that when you die in Team Fortress 2, it's not the kind of game where you go, I'll play this class now, or I'll play that class now. You sort of have maybe one or two favourites and that's sort yeah. of you, you stick to... It, it not what you know, but how you know how to play for the benefit yeah. of the team, and and it's very different to to any number of other team based games where you might fancy oh, I'll be the medic this time, or you know this time I think I'll just go out all assault super soldier style, and it, it, that does not work in Team Fortress Two. Yeah, and it's because you have to play your class and you have to yes. know your class in a way that you you don't necessarily in a lot of more uh mainstream shooters um i i mean as an i primarily play as the engineer and um i i think every class has a natural enemy like a class that mm-hmm. is the most annoying for you personally and for me it's spies as an engineer um the spy's ability to just lay those sapping devices onto your turret, onto your teleports, onto everything, and just completely destroy them without you even, uh, you know, being in the area or noticing what's going on. It's massively frustrating to have to rebuild a <laughs> turret from scratch and everything like that. But, like, I love soldiers because they just walk into in front of the turret yeah, and yeah. die. Um, so soldiers... I've never played as a soldier. I don't know if anyone else has played, but they've always mm. seemed like the most boring class to play as because they're literally Which just... Which is quite unusual for this game where the characters are imbued with more personality than pretty much anything else where you know you can recognise a character simply from the silhouette. So it's kind of odd that there is a boring class, but if there is, it is most certainly the soldier and it's the, it's the class yeah. that it is the one I've played the least. The soldier for me, it can't, it speaks to the player who can't really gel with the flow of the game at that time. Mm. So someone might jump into Team Fortress 2 now and think, what the hell is going on? It's such a weird game to play now because it's, it's kind of evolved into this, um, you know, this monstrosity of a beast game. But, you know, if you want to just understand the flow of the game and just get used to the, what's happening on a, you know, match by match basis, the soldier's perfect because mm. he doesn't offer a lot of, nuance in his in his controls you know there's not there's no double jump for him you can rocket jump but you know that takes a, you know, a bit of learning as well but it's kind of you know he's kind of bog standard he's kind of just safe you, you know what to expect with a soldier he kills people with a rocket launcher and yeah. uh, probably a, a, a secondary gun at the same time so i think he's there for the newcomers he's there for you know that's not to say that there, there aren't brilliant soldiers out there i've mm. met some amazing soldiers oh but yeah like, yeah but like i think he's just like your tutorial class i hate to sound a bit like a patron I, 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 it... I think he is though like I, when i said boring i should say i i don't mean ineffective like somebody who knows that class is really mm. can be really effective mm. on the battlefield it's more that um seeing as all of the other classes have so many interesting abilities it just seems kind of it, it seems he seems like the dull choice because all he does is blow stuff up with his bazooka and that's it. Yeah, he does. And when you've got the demo man there who can blow stu- uh, blow stuff up in interesting mm. ways, it just seems like hmm, what, why would you play as the it, soldier? Yeah. 
the demo man is an advanced soldier in my mind. Like yeah. he requires a lot more thought, a lot more kind of method to his madness. You know, like you can't just pump grenades around like a you know, or grenade launchers around uh, like a like a muppet. Really, you have to kind of think right. I'm going to bounce grenades off the wall because I know they're there. And yeah, the demo man for me is an advanced soldier and a, a class that I, I enjoyed briefly, but um, one that I just couldn't get on with because my patience wears too thin, like laying sticky grenades on the floor and you're like, they're going to come any minute now. But really what you have to do is like equip your other grenade launcher, run away and kind of use your game sense to go, right, they're coming down this corridor now where I've laid them off sticky mines. And then you set them off. It's, um, yeah, that, the, the game has many layers mm. of a uh, complex, complexity between uh between um classes but i do think the soldier it's kind of like your you know let, let's just have a safe round have any of you guys played as a sniper uh, i've never played as a sniper personally only briefly and it, it yeah. never ended yeah. well all the classes uh, you know i played all the classes like at least a couple hours each but my, my bottom two are spy at three hours and sniper at four i just i just can't do it yeah the snipers uh another class much like the uh spy and engineer where i respect someone who's really good at it i mean i, I mean this this uh, the sniper is a little less unique than the uh the uh, engineer and the spy but because it requires such precision to play as that class and just have good instincts in terms of like <laughs> you know where to shoot at what time and etc 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 um when you encounter somebody who's really good at playing that class it can be mm. frightening because uh, it doesn't like it doesn't take mu- you know doesn't take much to take down an enemy when you're playing that class as long as you land a hit uh pretty accurately they're down in two shots um the thing with the sniper is you have to kind of leave your sniper zoomed in for a the red dots get really, really like dense in color. And the, you know, the more dense it is, the more, you know, the more apparent it is, the more damage you do when you take your shot. So a hundred percent, it will be bright red on the map, but a, a decent sniper will hide that red dot somewhere else. <laughs> Wait mm. for you to come around a corner and just suddenly just destroy you in one shot. And you just think, I, I can't do that. My red dots always in plain sight waiting for everyone <laughs> and no one comes near me because they can see this glowing red dot on the floor. Yeah. I'm, I'm rubbish as a sniper. Okay. So let's move on to the game modes that the, uh, that Team Fortress 2 uh, uh, launched with. So we've got Capture the Flag or Capture the Briefcase in in this uh, case, Um, Control Point, uh, Territorial Control, King of the Hill, and Arena. Um, Personally, I was much more interested in the Control Point, Territorial Control maps. I just thought the... That just the inherent dynamic of all the classes and how they work together suited uh, the defender point, attacker point uh, style of play more than um, capture the flag or or any other style of play. Um, what what kind of game modes were were the ones that you were drawn to most, guys? So let's start with Darren. Uh, for me uh, personally, it was um, uh, capture the briefcase. There's something about that the whole aesthetic of the game, especially the spy, you know, that kind of like the music he's got, it's kind of like got some weird detective like music, uh, throughout the whole, well, you know, throughout the whole of the game, when you boot it up, especially before it went free to play and it turned a bit, it turned a bit wacky. Well, I say that it was wacky at the start, but it kind of had this weird sort of detective music to it. And it's like, I kind of felt like capturing the briefcase in each other's sort of side of the map mm. fit that the best, you know, like, and, the, the way it works for all the modes, don't get me wrong, and you know we all have our preferences. But I, f- I feel like the way the classes were, it's it sort of suited itself really well to 
base defending, sneaking behind enemy lines yeah. and capturing that briefcase and like watching a scout double jump over two fort into their side of the base and just watching it disappear. But then for a demo man to sneakily place his sticker grenades at the other side's uh, briefcase to, you know, to redeem our briefcase. It's just, yeah, I, I do feel like that was my most played, um, mode. Uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it, and I think that's because I played Team Fortress Classic. You mentioned Two Fort there. Um, that's that's kind of a, a fan favorite, and I'm interested to know why you think that's the case. Uh, clearly, you're drawn to the capture the flag uh, mode the most. Mm. Um, so I, I'm interested to know why that map in particular has become so popular amongst fans. I think there's a great element of nostalgia to it. I think it's, um, I think people love it because it was in classic and possibly the one before that, you know, in the yeah. Quake days. Um, I, I do think it was in the Quake version. Uh, so I think nostalgia plays a big part of it. So, you know, kind of like when I switch on Goldeneye and I play complex, I get a bit of a, you know, a bit of a nerd chill. Uh, but again, uh, two four is entirely symmetrical. So the balance is perfect. For, uh, you know, I, I use that word, um, you know, seriously. I think that map is, is, uh, balanced perfectly it is it is um it's a joy to play and you, you never feel like you've lost because the level design screwed you over it because every it, there's, there's literally two forts and it's it's connected together by a base and the map is symmetrical 50 percent, 50 percent. there's there's no nuance between the red and the blue side so what happens on the battlefield is dictated by the players so if if your team is entirely you know uh one class um you know, centric. So, so there's too many snipers. You'll feel that almost immediately because the map's so small. And then all of a sudden, like the other team will get wind of that. Like they got too many snipers. Quick, go scout, go scout, because they can double jump. They can breeze past the snipers. You know, if they were good enough. And you can sort of just wipe out an entire team in seconds. Mm-hmm. So it's all about player. Well, you know, the game is all about player balance. But there's two for specifically because it's not massive. It's not too small, but it's not too big. The flow of the game is really dictated by the um. You know the the soldiers, well, the the, the classes on the. There's also a variation in design as well from tight corridors where you can benefit from you know laying mines, or you, you've got the the straight bridge where the snipers and and obviously as Darren mentioned, the scouts can sort of play around and mess with each other, and it offers a verticality as well. You can go high, you can go low, you can go underground, um, and it's very rare that a, a map in any game offers all of those things. Uh, mm. It and mm. it's. It doesn't feel like a chore to die and come back and cross the map because it is the right length. It's not so short that you're there immediately, but it's not so long that you think, ugh. And it it doesn't you don't become sort of overwhelmed with the scale of getting back across to the opposition mm. or the fact that you have to take it too slow because if you go too quick and die, it's not worth the effort. It it it's it plays that balance really, really well. But the thing that always did it for me was the verticality of it all. You know, if you wanted to take on another sniper across the bridge, you were more than welcome to. But someone like uh, a demo would almost never make it across if he didn't have the right team members covering him. So he would sort of take mm. the lower route and try and take the corridors with like a pyro, uh, with the medics backing them up because, you know, they it just wasn't feasible for them to take the route across the bridge. And, and vice versa, someone like a scout or um, uh, or a sniper simply could not take the tunnels uh, along yeah. the corridors. Uh, so that, that's the reason that two fought absolutely shone for me. And it also it works across the modes, which is even more rare because anyone who's played um, Battlefield Three or Battlefield Four 
uh, and I'm sure Jill verify this, is that some maps simply did not work on Conquest like they worked on Rush or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it felt very much like that was primarily a Rush map, not a Conquest map. And when it would come across in the wrong playlist, it was all about, oh, and you can sort of see people leaving. That doesn't happen with Too Far. It doesn't matter what mode you are playing that on. People stick and play it because of that balance. Two Fort's an example of a map that um, they use for several different game modes. But I actually admire Team Fortress 2 for saying, nope, this map's not available for this mode. Uh, there are certainly you know mods available that change that for the oh, PC yeah. version. But... Um, yeah, for the, for the most part, if you're playing the game as intended, there are just you know they say no, this map is designed for this, this map is designed for that, and I think that's really commendable because I think a lot of multiplayer shooters kind of uh, go into uh, development with the approach of like get the most bang for your buck, you know, use as much as you've got available for everything. So you, you're talking about Battlefield and how certain maps that are suited for one thing are then suddenly used for another thing entirely, which they're not suited for. Yes. You don't find that in Team Fortress 2. Uh, the developers draw a line in the sand where they think uh, this map is not suitable and, and so forth and so on. So you, you never, you're never in that situation where you think... This is really badly designed for this kind of mode or or anything like that. It, it always feels like it's really well balanced. Every map in Team Fortress Two feels very balanced. It, in terms of game modes, I was actually sort of the opposite from you. I, I would play sort of capture the briefcase like Darren. I'd also play King of the Hill, and I'd intentionally leave out stuff like control point or territorial control purely because I always felt I had Battlefield that did them, and they were very dedicated mm -hmm. to that style of gameplay. So if I wanted to play it, I would stick it to that. And as a result, King of the Hill and Capture the Flag were quite frantic. I mean, they're all pretty much frantic at times in, in Team Fortress <laughs> 2. But they they played so well. Um, you know, King of the Hill would be it would be fun. I'd play that with friends. I'd be the one at medic whilst like the heavies or uh, the engineers and stuff would be focusing on getting the people in the hill. I'd sort of be the one cowering away healing. Or if it was capture the flag, it was perfect to be a scout because you know you were the whole quickly in and out sort of thing. So for me, those were the modes that always got the focus from me in Team Fortress Two, not the control point or territorial control. I think it's it, it's impossible to talk about um, Team Fortress 2 without bringing up its art style. And we have mentioned it briefly throughout um, the podcast already, but I, I, I think a large part of why people were drawn to this game was its uh, very Pixar-esque art design. And also the co the contrast of its uh, ultra-violence. So you have this kind of... <laughs> You know, th this animated style that feels much like a family film mixed in with very, very mature content. Mm. Um, that's mm. certainly what caught my eye when I was watching the trailers for this this game and, and uh, all the marketing footage. Um, if it was just another, like, class-based military shooter... Um, I, I think Team Fortress 2 would have passed me by, um, honestly. I, I don't think it would have uh, drew me in at all, mainly because there are so many military shooters out there now and only two, really, let's be honest, um, kind of 
you know, hold any kind of dominance in that uh, that genre, Call of Duty and Battlefield. So I think it was both brave and very clever for them to go for this um, Incredibles esque uh, visual design. Because it wasn't always going to be this way. No, and I think you see a similar thing in the way that sort of Borderlands took it and you know basically scrapped the whole kind yeah. of visual aesthetic and redo it in a sort mm. of almost cartoony style. And I think, to many ways, with that game as well, it, it paid dividends in doing so and taking a risk on a visual level. And I think you know it, it's what sold me Team Fortress Two right from the start was those very well kind of directed and, and very funny little meet the team uh, shorts that were, and, and you know, that stuff, it, it stood out. I mean, those meet the team yeah. videos may be my very favorite introduction teasers for a game that I can remember because they were yeah. genuinely funny. Mm. Uh, and, and that is yeah. part of the reason why I thought it was all a practical joke because team fortress was never funny when it was team fortress classic. Um, but, they absolutely nailed it. And the, the graphics have, I mean, I suppose it's too early to say it. it's timeless and it's such a cliched word anyway, but it, it has that striking art style in the same way that, that so many other great games do, um, so many other memorable ones. And the thing that it always reminded me of, being that it was a shooter, essentially was No One Lives Forever, which, again, mm. a spy game, had the spy kind of music that Darren mentioned and was a game I mm-hmm. was so utterly fond of. Again, also used comedy in it. Um and that was what linked me because obviously no one lives forever. We got a second sequel and there's, there's always been demand for a third or a remake or something. But Team Fortress 2, in, even though it's not a single player game, sort of took that little that little urge that I had to play something like that. And I, that that's what sort of drew my focus towards it. <clears throat> An art style mm. can be so in, so interesting for so many reasons. And, you know, it, it can pull memories from other things and, and if it didn't look like this, I would have played it. But if it went for a realistic route, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it and it wouldn't have been as memorable as I find mm. it now. And I recall it very fondly for, for how it looked because it was bold and the, obviously the, they, were, uh, they took a risk with the art style of Portal, which, again, very unique style, still looks great today. Team Fortress looks great today. In fact, arguably the one of the whole box that aged the worst is Half-Life 2 and that is mm. a pretty impressive game in its own right um, and yeah it, it's, it is really really pretty and it's one of these things that even if you play it now seven years after release it scales up with your resolution really beautifully if you're playing it on PC still mm. looks really wonderful hammers along at a cracking frame rate and has some of the sweetest animation for a shooter that, that you could ever wish to see. The um, the Meet the Team videos were impressive, you know, because they were funny. But what was more impressive to me is that we knew nothing of these characters, and that they are characters, but immediately you felt like you knew yeah. them in a, in a mm. strange way. Like, the way they're... They, they don't overly talk. You know, there are lines of dialogue, and, you know, they make you laugh, but they just somehow straight away you were like, okay, like, and... Valve's um, ethos with redesigning these characters is that like, if they were silhouettes, you could tell who they were mm. straight away. Yeah, and that helps immediately with the meet the team trailers because every every single class looks unique and they've got their own personality. They've got their own, you know, one one's massive. Uh, the scout is really thin, and th- you could just tell by the way that their, their, their garb, you know, their clothes. You can tell exactly what their what their role is within the game, and it sort of translated 
beautifully into these little shorts. You're like, okay, yeah. there's the medic. He's got heavy on his table and he's, he's, you know, he's, he's doing horrible, but funny surgery, uh, you know, surgery on him. And, yeah. you know, that's the quote I pulled earlier at the start. It's like, you know, uh, there's some funny quote about breaking his ribs, but it's fine. They grow back. So, you know, uh, but Valve, uh, it's, you kind of wished at the time for like a Team Fortress 2 movie of some sorts, you know, that's, that's kind of the yeah. way they, you know, with Oddworld, yeah. people said the same thing, like, oh, they could do an Oddworld movie. And I'm not, I don't know if they could translate into a movie, but the- sorry, so to some extent they already have, haven't they? If you go on, we're using Source Filmmaker, people have done some rather epic sort of version, yeah. you know, stuff on there you can find on YouTube. Yeah. I, I just think it's genius the way that they've taken a game, a multiplayer game like Team Fortress 2, which, doesn't have any narrative whatsoever there is a i mean each character has their own sound bites mm. but like there's not anything there to you know build a proper character out of but they've used the marketing of the game to do all that so they're mm. they're telling stories in their advertisements in their in their marketing that kind of feel like the narratives that you invent in your own head when you're playing the game like I, I always think of the um, the Meet the Spy video uh, as a great example of that, where the whole team is panicking because there's this guy who's really, <laughs> really effective as, as at playing the spy, and everyone's doubting everyone, and they don't know who the spy is, and then ultimately that spy gets the better of all of them. That's a scenario that's played out in multiplayer games that I've mm-hmm. played. It, it, it's really clever that they've they've managed to um add color to all of these these uh, let's be honest quite broad stereotypical mm. characters through their marketing they simply took the very stereotypical traits of all these characters and then played on those stereotypes with humor yeah. in a way that yeah that's the most eccentric looking version that you could ever imagine of a heavy and a heavy looks exactly how you would expect a heavy to look but comical, he sounds exactly like you'd expect a heavy to yeah. look in your head if you were being funny. And it's the same for every character. And as a result, you almost feel a bond with them because it, yeah. they feel yeah. like they're your own designs, even though they're not. And it's a really, really clever bit of design work that, that you know, there's, there's giving it an identity via um, a design is not easy because uh, it's all too often games get it wrong and you know it, it it's something that we're very critical of now the 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 overly generic design the the absolutely zero personality and some games get away with it like halo where master chief didn't really you know he had a very standard design but he almost stood out for because he was intentionally designed that way but then you get the characters like um Marcus Phoenix in Gears of War which is you know comically cliche but it doesn't have that humor that that personality where it becomes acceptable like it does in team fortress 2 it doesn't become like like personalized to the gamers um and it, it's all a bit uh, you know very standard and it never once feels that way in team fortress 2 well it, I, I mean the problem with gears of war is that it has a bunch of stereotypical characters but is completely unaware of the fact like yes. it, it takes itself incredibly seriously whereas team fortress 2 has a bunch of stereotypical characters it. and is completely aware of it it's it's very mm-hmm. self-aware you've got to play stereotypes with humor for it to yeah. work and and there's some <laughs> there's some clever developments with all the marketing uh, for these characters. Like, I've noticed that the soldier 
as a character gets stupider and stupider with every <laughs> video he stars in. And I and you were talking about like the soldier being like the beginner's class. I wonder if that's a subtle commentary on yeah. Valve's part of going. He, this is the you know the player who doesn't know what they're doing yet. Like <laughs> that, that's why the soldier is always uh, you know played up as being the dumb one, and then you have the spy and the engineer and the medics being the clever classes. See, I always mm. had it that the soldier was played that way because that was the Call of Duty character. That was sort of the battlefield character. And we're, we're oh, going, yeah, that's we're going to intentionally we're going to intentionally make that one stupid. Because that's that's yeah. not recognisable with our game like the other classes are because it's a soldier, um, and, and soldiers are stupid. But but the thing is, like you you watch the first uh, the first instance of the soldier being in one of these videos, which is the meet the soldier one, yeah. and I believe the meet the soldier one actually uh, came out around the release rather than later down the line, like meet the spy and meet the medic did, mm. um, and that that. Uh, he's certainly slightly dumb, but it's more just let's be wacky, let's be crazy. That video, the Meet the Soldier video, because he's talking about like uh, warrior, you know, warrior texts and stuff like that, and mm. talking to these severed heads. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, he's not stupid; he's just a bit crazy and wacky. But as those videos goes along, it gets he just gets more and more dumb. Um, that I, I think uh, I first noticed it in the Meet the Spy video where he kills the spy who's talking to them about this spy that's hunting to kill them and he goes well it's obvious he was the spy and he's staring at his corpse going any second now he'll turn red look he's turning red oh wait it's blood and it's just like but even in that wow. even in that first video where he's talking to what you think are recruits or something and he's talk he's he's quoting sun tzu and then you're thinking, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. what's this? And then, then he start, He pulls these hand grenades and he says he took two of every animal and rounded them up and beat the crap out of each and every one of them. And, and then, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, it's oh, brilliant. I think the redesign of that art style is absolutely crucial to the game's yeah. success uh, yeah. in terms of gameplay because if they if they had kept it realistic, they couldn't have done, well, I don't think they could have done half the stuff they did with the weaponry in the game. Yeah. Like, the, the 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 watch that turns us by invisible, so we can sneak around behind enemy lines. How would that work in a realistic setting? And we've seen Workshop available in the game now, when people can create their own stuff, and you know the best stuff makes it into the game. I just can't see how that would translate into a more realistic looking game. I think that the change in the art style helped them more than they could ever. The humour is what you you couldn't have a realistic looking game and have the humour. That that just doesn't. Mm. The two don't fit. But a, a realistic looking game, well, I'd say Killzone. Killzone 2 took a lot of Team Fortress, uh, took a lot of ideas from Team Fortress. The spy, the, you know, being able to sort of disguise yourself as the enemy players, the, the engineer with the turrets and fixing ammo boxes and stuff like that. It felt that if you wanted a, a kind of, to see where a realistic version of that game would have gone, then you've got the Killzone 2 mm. multiplayer. Because the, the two feel very, it, you know, it feels like Gorilla took a lot of influence from Valve's shooter so with the meet the videos and the various shorts um that uh, valve uh released uh, on youtube and various other places they actually uh announced several updates for the pc version of the game which unfortunately never made their way to consoles which um 
which is a great shame. And unfortunately, Jay has not played the uh, the current version of Team Fortress Two because of this. Um, I, I, I'm just curious to know uh, your opinions on uh, like the situation uh, with Valve and Microsoft because I know you have some quite strong opinions on that entire situation. Yeah, we were we were the problem. I mean, I don't know who's to blame for this, so I kind of hold both parties uh, accountable for the mess that it became because there was a really good game there, a game that, even though it came out at a particular sort of point of the year where some real sort of foundation titles came out, you had Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Halo 3 all came out within the sort of same time frame. And... But we found that we played a lot of Team Fortress 2 because it was a good counterpoint to have against uh, Call of Duty. You know, we'd have the more serious matches the sort of, and stuff, and then we'd play a bit of Team Fortress for something a bit more, you know, because we, we would be laughing while we were playing it. And it just didn't last long. It didn't last long at all. It, you know, we made, I guess, five to six months, and then basically everybody had stopped playing it. And then, and there was no map packs announced. There was no extras, no nothing. And it just felt yeah. like we got. Had that been an individual product, had it been sold separately, I would have been quite severely gutted. But because it came out with the orange box, and you had this this still what it is today, you know, one of the best value for money disc based game products to ever be released. It was like it was you know, it's amazing sort of collection of titles all within had it not been part of that um yeah it would have been i would have been heartbroken serious clash of philosophies there isn't it where you've got valve who aren't really seen for their massive drive for profiteering and microsoft who very much are and you tend to think that it probably stems from microsoft's side that they didn't see it viably bringing in huge profits for them so their focus went elsewhere. They were quite vocal weren't they at the time with with how much it cost to do updates and Valve wanted yeah. to update this game yeah. like they do with you, the PC. You pay for updates and mm. obviously this came to a, a a real clash didn't it over Minecraft where Microsoft and that that's how late this came and you think this was what 2007 mm. and Minecraft was 2012 I think on, on Xbox 360 or maybe early 2013 yeah. and you think it took that long and a title such as Minecraft for Microsoft to finally change their stance on paying for updates and the the drive for DLC to be charged through the marketplace that didn't want to mm. give free DLC away, which obviously scared away many indies and stuff. Um, and sadly, and, and of course, then you've got the fact that Valve, uh, such a beast that they don't actually have to cave yeah. to Microsoft's demands. And, and they, they simply just stood their ground and went, right, we'll, we'll focus on... PC then and I mean credit to Valve for doing it but it was just at the time a very much a different clash in philosophies between two companies Yeah, I'm not sure I respect Valve for what they did though with Team Fortress 2 because ultimately they had a, a similar situation with Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 yes. and their decision with that game was okay we'll release the maps uh, at a certain amount uh, of money on the consoles and then we'll just release them for free on PC and it will just be the case that unfortunately console gamers will have to pay up because of Microsoft rule uh, of Microsoft rules 
and and people who buy who bought the PC game will benefit from continued support free of charge. They could have done that with Team Fortress 2. They could have I know there were hundreds and hundreds of updates for Team Fortress 2. Yeah. So they could have collected them together into one mm. big massive update that players paid for and then added that, you know, added that to the game, but it makes me wonder that if Team Fortress 2 was an individually sold game and not a bundled one of five in the orange box, that maybe it would have got that secondary support, but as it was seen as merely 20% of a product, I always felt that mm. maybe that's why it was overlooked for its DLC. In the same way that when we had the um, additional challenges for Portal, they actually just released it as Portal Still Alive on the marketplace and, and yeah. charged full price for it rather than just adding it as DLC. Uh, maybe if they were all individual and the orange box wasn't the, the incredible bargain that it was, we would have seen that support for added DLC. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, that's mm. something that only Valve could probably answer. Yeah, I mean, I'd and, be curious to see, like, wonder how it would change if they had released it now. Like, I mean, I know mm-hmm. obviously the console's aspect towards this stuff has changed and, and their charges yeah. and so on, but... I find myself in a really sort of difficult position with with where Valve are at this point. I I respect them immensely for the games they've given us, but I really don't know if they see themselves as game developers anymore because it really doesn't feel like they give a damn about making games these days. Plus the fact that their games don't go to the number three, although, fingers crossed, I would love to see a Team Fortress 3 for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. But Yeah, it's a weird one, the the old... You know, it felt like it was the, the right... Well, yeah, the right game at the wrong time, mm. you know. Xbox Live was booming, but Microsoft's sort of insistence on these um on these charges, it had, you know, there was a clash of opinion there. And... But if, if, if there's one thing that's amazing about Team Fortress 2 on the 360, is that if you want to see how that game was mm. on day yeah. one on PC... Just, just, just put it in your 360 and have a look. The, the game is, you know, it is the core is the same, but it is a wildly different game now. And uh, yeah, yeah the, the changes that happened to PC with it becoming free to play, um, I, I kind of, I kind of, that, that, that's the reason why I kind of fell off of it because it just there was so much bundled into this update, this free to play update. Because you know, it being free to play, you have to have certain systems in place to keep monetizing the game, and that kind of put me off playing it a little bit. Um, so, you know, if you do want to, if you kind of want to go back to the glory days of TF2, if you want to call it that, then um, find a copy of the Orange Box and pop it in. It, it, it's, it's oddly refreshing. You see, you say you're, you were really bothered by the shift to uh, free-to-play and, and the systems they put in place, like, you know, the mm. hats and everyone takes the mick out of the hats that they added um, and the items and the trading and stuff like that. But, like, to be honest... Much like Dota 2, you can play Team Fortress 2 completely ignoring all of that stuff because all of the stuff you can buy is just, you know, aesthetic. Like, the actual items that change the way you play, you can unlock those as you play the game, like different guns and stuff. The mm-hmm. the free-to-play stuff, the stuff you can purchase, doesn't have an impact on ga- gameplay. As far as I can tell... Um, Maybe I'm wrong on that count and somebody will correct me, but... So for the soldier, for example, he has a spade as a melee weapon. You could you could buy a fish and he runs around slapping people with a fish. And I do really like that idea of changing the game, but it, it was the, the Valve systems in, that they put in place, like a crafting system. That, to me, has never been touched because I looked at it and went... Well, that's just a complete mess, and I feel slightly overwhelmed by it all. I never really yeah. shut, you know, touched that, it. That's the key word yeah. there, is it is quite overwhelming if you want to, you know... From starting out, obviously, you can gradually 
grasp it, but there is no doubt it, there, there is a little bit of an overwhelming atmosphere. Don't all games these days fall into that kind of thing where, you know, I see people talking about sort of whether it's Battlefield or even Destiny. You know, they go into the multiplayer, they get their ass kicked and then they come back out, you know, and it's just like that. this sense of overwhelming odds against them. I, I mean, always felt that the overwhelming nature um, in the changes to Team Fortress 2 actually came from the things outside of the core gameplay. The core yeah, gameplay for me never yeah, yeah. changed. It was always, you know, the the advertisements for uh, trading, the, the, the hats. The, right. And I mean, I mean, fair play to them. They monetized the game uh, going free to play and made more money via selling hats than they did from anything else, mm. even prior to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is And some of them are fantastic. I mean, this Halloween, there's the Xenomorph suit from Aliens, which looks absolutely fantastic and has been made a genuine for the game um of course it's only available over halloween but stuff like that superb but um some of it it just feels like when you start asking your customers to start producing stuff it's one of those elements where you might get one good thing to 99 terrible things and then you start wading Mm. through stuff and that's where the whole overwhelming nature of it comes Mm. from and it just feels like the that lack of overall quality has gone because you've introduced the public into being able to do stuff for it. You see, I I disagree that the overall quality has gone down since all these updates because although I, I, I do agree with you, I find that stuff really overwhelming and I, I've never touched the crafting because I just I can't wrap my head around it. But I can still, you know, go into a multiplayer match and have a ton of fun because you don't have to pay any attention yes. to the, any of that stuff. The core of the game, the what made the game so great when it first launched, is still intact. It's still very much there. And I, I do like uh, that I get rewarded now for playing really well. You know, you get items for, for certain play c- conditions and stuff like that and... I, I like that kind of that kind of stuff, but the game can, without a doubt, feel more personalised as a result of that that stuff. And if you are willing to overlook the overwhelming nature of these hats, then without a doubt, the core game there is still absolutely fantastic. Um, but the free to play stuff and the items and the trading and and all that stuff, the crafting, isn't the only addition. Uh, to this uh, this game since launch, there have been several uh, new game modes um, uh, added to the game. Uh, one of my favourites is Payload, uh, which is where one team mm. guides a bomb into the other team's base. And I believe it was actually one of the earliest updates to the game. Um, mm. This was before all the trading and free to play stuff was introduced. Payload was introduced well before that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I, I think that mode. Um, suits uh, the dynamic of the game to a T. Um, just having having essentially what is a moving king of the hill in, in a certain sense. Like one team is constantly defending this point, constantly trying to get it to move along, and the other are trying to get the, the thing to move in the other direction. Um, it, it gives... Uh, it, it, it kind of feels like King of the Hill Extreme. Like, yeah. it's King of the Hill where the map and the environment around you is constantly changing as the game goes along. It's such a good mode, and it is the mode I ended up playing the most because I'd never seen anything like it before. I, I think I'm, I may be wrong, but I think Team Fortress 2 is the first game to do this kind of mode. I, I could be wrong. I'm willing to put my hand up there, but it's the first time I saw it. And I... <laughs> 
the the sense of tension playing the payload is just it's so it's not overwhelming it's so much like throughout the whole map you kind of get this kind of meta feeling over the whole thing like you you see uh like a railway track going through the middle literally the middle of this map and it will go all the way through critical paths of this map and it will reach an end point and that's where the bomb explodes in the enemy's base the sense of tension and like the meta vibe from the team when you're pushing the payload towards the end goal which is um clearly indicated at the bottom of the, the screen with the five points uh, there, there's something about that and the way you have to change you have to evolve the way the the, the flow of the battle because the like I said earlier, t- the, the the opposing team who's who's defending the payload will get a sense of of who you are and how you're playing. So you kind of have to evolve your team and go like you know talk in the uh, the team chat, right, guys? Maybe we should go for heavy medic combos and sort of Uber up because you know um if you if you charge up your Uber you know your healing gun you can go Uber and you make you and your buddy uh invulnerable for a certain amount of time. And just little changes in the in the in the flow of battle can just totally push that payload over the edge and. Uh, yeah, and destroy the enemy base. Uh, payload for me is is uh, well, it extended my game uh, doubly from fifty hours to hundred. It was uh, it was a a brilliant, brilliant um, game mode, uh, which has been implemented in loads of games. Yeah, since. I mean, the only mm. experience I've got of playing a mode like game mode would, uh, like payload would be uh, obliteration in Battlefield. But the the problem is, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, my my PC something happened to it, and it was uh, in the end it was unable to play any games, and it happened between the game launching and payload and the other modes coming out so um whilst i'm aware of what they are i've unfortunately never been able to play them yeah killzone 3 had something similar to that and there was a mode that everybody really dug which were you know trying to get these objects across the map and fighting off in stages and and stuff yeah i mean that that was probably the strongest mode um in terms of popularity for killzone 3 wasn't it and then Mm. removed that from shadowfall but it it's it is that it, it there's a real team ethos to a mode like that where you where you're all charging to go and get something and move it somewhere else um so yeah well it focuses doesn't it i think that's always been a strength when when you have an open sort of just a death match it's kind of every man for himself mentality but when you give the teams a focus or a focal point to to to, it it makes for a better game now i haven't played any of the medieval mode um (laughs) i was wondering if anyone else has played it um, Didn't they update the sniper for this mode, where uh, he had like um, a shield on his back? It was kind of tribal-looking shield to yeah. stop the spies from digging into his back, and obviously that took a space up in his in his inventory. Excuse me, um, you know, so you replaced your machine gun, your submachine gun for this shield, and yeah, he had like a like a bow and arrow as well, and he looked really cool. That mode seems cool for snipers because then you have to play this archer role. Yeah. It doesn't seem particularly interesting for everyone else, um, no. because it it just robs you of all of the the cool abilities that I love Team Fortress Two. Uh, what for? Mm. You know the reason it's the, you know those cool abilities are the reason why I love Team Fortress Two. So to just run around hitting each other while is kind of hilarious for you know one match or two. I it just. I, I've played similar type games, uh, type game modes in other multiplayer uh, shooters like Halo and and um, Slappers Only in Golden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're they're always hilarious with friends, 
Yeah. But as a serious yeah. game mode that you're going to play with other people online, it, it I I find them frustrating, and um, for that reason, I've just I've I've not even gone near it. It's one of those um, I'll play it for ten minutes with friends modes, and then we'll move on to something serious. It's like a warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it reminds me, you know, I never really touched it. This is kind of when I started dropping off of Team Fortress Two, but it kind of reminds me of a Counter Strike match where there's one one on one side, and one on the other, and they decide to go knives only just for that brief moment of uh, of a battle. It kind of reminds me of that, that expanded into a full game mode, and yeah, it doesn't really appeal to me. I'm rubbish at melee in, in any game, so. Um, have a whole mode out of it. it just doesn't really strike my chords um the other mode that i have played quite a bit of uh quite recently actually is man versus machine um which the best way to describe it is kind of team fortress 2's approach uh to horde mode um mm. so essentially uh, you have a team of player characters and you're up against a bunch of robots who all take on similar ro- roles. So there's a bunch of soldier robots and a bunch of spy robots and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the difference being that there are like more powerful versions of certain classes. So you'll have like a, a really powerful soldier that will come out onto the field and, and uh, mess you guys up. Because the regular AI, just the normal soldiers and so forth and so on, are pretty easy to deal with because... You know, if if you've got a team of people who really know their classes and know how to work together, um, th- this AI is no match for that. So they have to introduce these more powerful units as the game goes along. Um, mm. I I really enjoyed it um, for the most part. I I, I think my favourite is the man versus machine uh, version of Payload. So um, it. it it's not only are you trying to, you know, destroy this um, uh, enemy army, but also that the, the enemy army has an objective. So it feels like you're preventing them from achieving like a, a goal or something, which is a bit more interesting than just shooting waves and waves of uh, robots. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty a, a pretty effective example of the horde mode in a multiplayer game. Yeah, I remember seeing a few videos of it around, you know, on, on Giant Bomb and other websites. But by that point, I, you know, I'd completely dropped off. I can't remember what I was playing at the, at the time, but yeah, it looked, it looked really interesting. But I think you couldn't, you can't match make or you couldn't at the time. So you couldn't really play with random people. They may have changed that since. Uh, but, they um, definitely have. You, you can yeah. match make now. So that's, uh, I think, I think that, that the original design was you couldn't match make to stop people from just grinding in, in, in game mode, you know, just for farming for drops and stuff, which was, I think it was one of the first modes to give you crates and keys and stuff like that. Uh, again, I could be wrong. My memory is very hazy on all this, but I seem to remember like clicking a button, like find a game, join friends game. You're like, well, no, I just want to jump in anyone's game for now. Uh, so it kind of felt a bit restricted, but I'm glad to hear that they've opened it up. So along with all these updates, um, Valve uh, have really concentrated on expanding the narrative of Team Fortress 2. We talked about that uh, with the uh, Meet the Videos and the shorts they've done. But recently, very recently, this year in fact, they released a short film, a 15-minute film called Expiration Date, which was also kind of an uh, an announcement for another update, the Love, uh, Love and War update. Um 
But uh, it was also showing off their source filmmaker that came out uh, a while ago, and um, uh, it, it seems it seems that uh, people who use uh, source filmmaker really uh, t- tend to use the Team Fortress characters the most. I think mainly because they're super versatile, they're super exaggerated, so they can, um, you know, they they're useful in the comedic videos you find on YouTube and so forth. Um, so you have that, and you have characters like Pauline, Pauline, um, who who was played by Ashley Birch in the uh, expiration date uh, film. Um, characters who for the most part just don't even appear in the game at all um they they really expanded on the fiction with the comic books and and such that they released on their official website uh, since the game's launch um it it really is an extension of all the stuff they've done with the the shorts and the, and the meet the videos just expanding that world using their marketing and using things outside of the game um, I, I was just wondering, like, what are your guys' opinion opinions on this this approach that Valve have adopted? I know we've talked about it briefly, but the expiration date video um, is kind of a unique beast. I've I've never seen, or at least I've never seen. There, somebody will probably come up with an example of this, but I've never seen a company actually make a short film just to market their game. Um, it's it's really unique and interesting. And not only market a game, but market a seven-year-old game. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's ridiculous that they just keep pouring all this effort and love into a game that's made the money for them. Uh, it's, uh, that's kind of why I like Valve, you know, that they, they, well, why, you know, why I really like Valve is that they, they, they always kind of, you know, they may be reluctant to make new games, <laughs> God damn it! but, you know, the, the games that are... Um, have like a you know an evergreen effect for them. They keep they they do pour some love into them over the time. The only other um, developer I think, it, or rather, maybe it was more the publisher who paid for it, but it was um, Bungie. Yeah, I was thinking uh, Bungie. doing stuff for Halo Three. They had the live action little short. Uh, it was like what ten minutes, fifteen minutes yeah, long altogether. Once also, they downloaded all um, the pods. under three four three, they did the the Halo movie for oh, forward forward unto dawn. Forward unto dawn because there's been a couple of movies, but just prior to the release of, of Halo Three, they made these. Um, it was Neil Blomkamp yes. who directed it, the District Nine. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and he directed this all little short, uh, sort of pre. It wasn't a prequel, was it? It was just leading to the events of Halo Three. So it was, yeah, but yeah, that stuff's always yeah. Cool. But I mean, I mean Bungie even... are the only ones that I can think of that have actually poured that kind of time and effort and care into actually doing something. But I can't think of another mm. company that's that's done it so no. long after a release, yeah, like, like yeah. Uh, Valve did. Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, this this expiration date video completely passed me by until this uh, till I saw the show notes. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I will be watching that very very soon. Okay, cool. Let's hear from the community. Uh, you can. Tell us about your opinions on games at caneandrince.com uh, on our forum, or you can email us uh, at podcast at caneandrince.com. Unfortunately, for this episode, we haven't had any forum correspondence. It's only been the free word review. So we're just going to move on straight into that. Daniel Gomez, too many hats. Rocket Raccoon, soul sucking time. Drew. Damn you, spy! 
Oh, Neil Taylor says, hats, hats, hats. Hats on. Lovely balanced classes. Adam Wilding must play game. Lloyd Orby. So many campers. Ben Monroe. Favourite gaming memory. Okay, all that's left is our summaries, uh, starting with Jay. You know, what What can I say? I mean, it was like, there was a few months back in 2007 that I really loved this game. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, just due to, you know, the lack of support. And, and to some extent, that's not necessarily the fault of Valve and, or, or, or Microsoft. It was, you know, it's the way that, the community in general, people move on to new games as, as new things come out and they drop old things. Unfortunately, sort of team fortress two just never really got on a lot of people's radar at the time. Although we had a few group, you know, a few of us were quite loyal to the game for quite a few months, but just the sort of diminishing numbers just eventually meant that it just sat there gathering dust. Um, it's a real shame. Because, you know, it it has a lot of charm and I really enjoyed and, and found it really amusing. There's few multiplayer games where we've been sort of side-splitting laughter whilst playing. Um, but yeah, you know, what can you do? Yeah, so I I had a lot of affection for this game back when it was released and then for a couple of years after it was released when I started playing it seriously on PC then I kind of just stopped playing it and not for any particular reason um, I still think this game is fantastic in, in a lot of areas I think the map design is really well uh, well put together I think the classes are very distinct but also very balanced and they complement each other really well um and and a lot of the game modes especially payload which we've talked about uh, during the podcast uh, really stand out as uh, some of my favorite multiplayer matches uh, i've had uh, in my entire you know gaming uh, multiplayer experience um but for whatever reason it, it never held my attention the way games like halo did um, and I, I, I think in part it's because the game is so complex now. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to entry. Um, I, I, I can't imagine somebody who's never played Team Fortress 2 coming to the game now because I think, like Carl and Darren said during the podcast, they would be overwhelmed by many of the ele- elements in the game. I understand the core of the game, so despite being overwhelmed by that stuff myself i i can still enjoy the 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 core experience but i i can't deny that 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 stuff it just completely goes over my head um so yeah it's a multiplayer experience that i i really loved at one point but now just isn't for me um i i just cannot dedicate the amount of time required to master the classes and master the maps and all the different game modes. Uh, there was a time in my life when that that was a possibility, and that was when I was seventeen in sixth form and had no responsibilities. Uh, but as a, as a twenty four year old now, um, 
I just don't have the time to do that kind of stuff. So if if you're the kind of player who uh, who wants to dedicate all their their playtime to one game and really master it, Team Fortress 2 is absolutely one that I think is worth you know digging into, really understanding the deep mechanics. But for someone like me who wants to explore uh, lots of different varied gameplay experiences. Unfortunately, I just I don't have the time anymore. Yeah, Team Fortress Two. As I said, it was a game I was looking forward to so much, and it played absolutely brilliantly. I would uh, go across between playing it on the PC and then I'd play it on the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. Different friends on both, and if I wasn't playing with friends, it, I didn't enjoy it as much. But if for those those sessions where I would play for hours at a time with friends, were absolutely hilarious. Unfortunately, between there was the fact that my PC could no longer play it anymore, which massively affected it, and in terms of playing on the Xbox 360, probably the most damning thing that happened to Team Fortress 2 was that, as near as damn it, one month later, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare came out, and that was pretty damn good online. Um, and that's probably the game that I uh, swayed to, uh, that or I would play one of the Battlefield games, Um and that sort of impacted my time on Team Fortress 2. And it's not that Team Fortress 2 wasn't good because it really is absolutely a brilliant game and it's still really good to play now. Um, and it looks fantastic and it has all the charm and humour and quality that so few titles can match. But it is a little bit overwhelming. And in terms of class-based games, my time has always been so embedded with the Battlefield series that... I find it hard to leave, and if I'm playing one class-based game, I'm always going to go towards a Battlefield game over a Team Fortress game, and it's not, as I say, it's not a slight on the quality of Team Fortress 2, and I appreciate it far more as a title than I do many other shooters. Um, And the fact that it's now free to play, if you have a PC able to play it, which most people do, um, then absolutely give it a go, because... Uh, you'll probably have your butt handed to you the first couple of hours that you play, but stick with it, learn the intricacies, and there is a lot there to appreciate. And, of course, it is growing with that whole um, user workshop side of it all, which I'm not overly a fan of. Some people obviously are. Uh, Give it a shot, and if that doesn't interest you, at least give the Meet the Videos a go, because it's very seldom that you can... Watch something belonging to a game that doesn't take itself seriously, isn't poor-faced, and totally revels in its own humour. They're only short. Have a laugh. Enjoy those, and then give it a go on free to play if it's possible. So, yeah, Team Fortress 2. Uh, it's, it's been a bit of a long journey, this one, because I, you know, I, was, I was there day one for, on Steam, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time back then. And I think due to Valve's consistent, uh, consistency in those videos and, you know, it's, it's reluctance and it's humour. Like, it was just constantly brilliant in, in marketing itself over the years. Uh, it kept pulling me back in. And I think I, I'm not big on multiplayer games in general. If I do it, they're mainly local and, you know, with friends that I know on a, on a, on a couch or whatever. But for, for me to play a hundred hours of a, of a multiplayer game online is something of a bit of, you know, it's a bit of a mystery to me. Like, I don't really do that kind of stuff. Uh, so Team Fortress 2 definitely struck a chord with me at a certain, at a certain point. 
uh, we mentioned it before. It kind of lost me with its uh, its its rabbit hole of free to playness, uh, which you know I I do think the game's still really good fun now. You know it even if the the player base is amazingly good at it. I tried playing it the other day and I just got owned, and that's after you know so many hours played. Uh, but if you want to get into it now, uh, I'd recommend it. But maybe go in with a friend. Uh, you know, maybe buddy up with someone or, or I think you can be like, get a coach. Like, I think they introduced a coaching system in there. Maybe you can learn from someone who's played thousands of hours of the game and maybe they can teach you because I know players who become coaches get rewarded for coaching new players. And I think that in itself is another genius move into, uh, introducing new players to the game. So it's, it's free. And I'm pretty sure with it being a seven year old game, you got a PC to run it. Give it a shot. That just leaves me, Josh, to say thank you to Jay, Darren and Carl for being on this podcast. Uh, Next time in issue 148, we'll be storming the beaches in Medal of Honor Allied Assault. See you next time. Bye.